0: Um, We are almost to the conclusion of our Church Matters sermon series. Um, This is uh, the second to the last week. Next week in the 75th anniversary celebration will be the concluding uh, Sunday in this. And um, this week we want to begin, I I want to share an image. If we could put the first slide up there, guys. Um, I want to share an image about... We'll see if that gets there. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. Um, while they're working on that, I'll kind of paint a picture. Um, our society is, is captured by this idea of searching for happiness, um, fulfillment. We're searching for purpose, searching for, um, for meaning, right? And, and our, our culture has a lot of answers to the question of, what is going to make you happy? What is going to make your life fulfilled? What is it that you need? Um, and there's not a whole lot I can do. Keep going. Malachi's giving me the just keep stretch it out thing. All slides are blank. All slides are blank. That's weird. Okay. Well. Okay. Um, I'll, uh, I'll share this picture out on, on Facebook after service. It's a sign on the side of a building, and it says, the secret of happiness is, and then the rest of the sign is torn off, like like the wind blew it away or something. Um, and so it's like, if you're you ex- excited or finally happy that you're gonna find the sign, the, the, the thing, the answer to the secret of what is gonna make you happy, um, The sign said the secret to happiness is and then it's just blank as if it wasn't going to provide the answer for you. Um, And the reality is that that a lot of us are looking for the answer to that question. The secret of happiness is and we try to fill in that blank with um, a lot of different answers. Uh, Some people think they've found those answers. Some people think they know what it is and are pursuing it. Um, But many of us are still searching or chasing after what we think will make us happy or content or comfortable. Some people search for happiness, some people search for purpose, meaning fulfillment of life uh, through through religion. Um, Some people search through uh, religious services and practices or a sense of spirituality. Um, Even though the the church seems to be uh, declining in attendance, a sense of spirituality in our country, our culture seems to be growing, more people are checking out other religious stuff um, and call it spirituality. So some people are searching with religion and spirituality. Some people are searching for happiness in their careers. They think that if they get the right job, it'll make them happy. Um, Hey, thanks guys, here's the sign. I did a terrible job of explaining it, but the secret of happiness is, and then it's just like all tattered and torn. Um, Some people are searching with relationships. They think that if they get the right relationship, that's what's gonna give them Fulfillment, purpose, meaning. Um, some people search with wealth and status and some people search by trying to please others and make other people happy. Some people are searching thinking that influence or attention will uh, will bring about the f- meaning and happiness in their life that they're searching for. Um, some people are searching using pleasure um, or feeling good as, as the measure of what makes them happy. If I could just feel better, if I could just feel good that's like defines the purpose in our lives Um, some people are are trying to um, perfect their physical appearance or maybe their physical fitness and think that's what's going to bring them happiness or purpose or fulfillment that if they just are physically fit or look the right way some people search using political parties or political power thinking that if that if we get the politics sorted out that that's just what's going to bring happiness or fulfillment um And then some people search for things or search with things that turn into addictions, um, bad habits that actually do more damage to themselves than they maybe are aware of. Um, But as people search for happiness and they search for the good life and they search for purpose and meaning and all of that, people will come across their own answers. They'll They'll answer that question their own way. They'll fill in that blank. The secret of happiness is, and they'll fill in that blank for themselves. And sometimes those answers are, are pretty good. I don't think there's anything wrong with being physically fit or taking care of your health or um, wanting to have a good career or wanting to have a good marriage or anything like that. So I, I think some of those things can be really helpful. But I think some of, it, uh, some of it, those conclusions we come to, some of the answers we come up with may not be the best answers. If the, the slides are still working, could we put the next one up? So this is just another image I found. and um, Like I said, some of the answers we come to just aren't the best. So this one, because of the perspective of the signs, it looks like it says Christ died for our Dunkin' Donuts. Um, some of the answers we come to, some of the conclusions just aren't quite right, right? There's a little bit of religion mixed in here. There's some caffeine mixed in here. Um, I just saw this and made me chuckle and wanted to share it with y'all. Um, But the idea that we come to answers, we come to conclusions about what is going to fulfill us, what's going to make us happy. Do we really know what we're looking for, what is going to bring about that purpose and meaning that we're searching for? I want to share a story that comes from the the book of Acts, chapter 17 today. And so if you have your Bibles or want to follow along on the screens or have a Bible app on your phone or uh, tablet or whatever, we're Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 27. It's going to be about searching it's going to be about searching for something that you're not aware of, right? And so this is, um, I say this almost every week, but this is one of my favorite scriptures. Um, <laughs> this is a great story from the book of Acts, and we—and and, well, we'll we'll just get to it, and then I'll, I'll preach on it once we're done reading it. Otherwise, I'll get all out of order here. So Paul um, is going to be the main character in our story here in Acts 17, verses 22 through 27. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting place of the... Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very things you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you The Lord who made the world and everything in it is. Hold on. I got confused. And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Um, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Um, Not only your words on a page in our Bible that you have preserved and presented to us um, through 2,000 years of church history, but your word that's made flesh and dwells among us. Um, May the scriptures not only... uh, be words that live in our minds but become a life lived in our hearts and through our our physical being. May these words form and shape us more into the image of your Son. Uh, May your Spirit move freely amongst us this morning um, for your glory. It's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. So Acts, we did a, a, a few weeks back, we did a a sermon series that kind of walks through some of the highlights of Acts, not every chapter, not every major event, but we kind of walk through some of the stories of acts, but Acts is the story of how the gospel of of this poor carpenter messiah guy jesus this this unknown guy from an unknown place, ended up invading the most powerful empire, ended up in Rome in the in, in the heart of this of this most powerful empire on earth and ended up under the nose and and viewed as a real threat to the emperor himself. Um, And then Acts is the story of how how the gospel got to Rome but also how it created these communities of faith, these communities of believers along the way. And like I said um, a moment ago, the primary focus in Acts is, is either on Paul, sometimes it's on Peter, and how they share the gospel of Jesus in the various cities that they traveled to. And as we look through Acts and we look at the stories and the missionary journeys of Peter and Paul, we, we celebrate these dramatic acceptances of the gospel. You know, sometimes there's thousands of people that hear the word and believe and we, we get excited as church folk. This is awesome. Look at the impact that, that Paul is having on this community. Look at the, the amount of people that accept the gospel and, and they have this positive response to their teachings. But sometimes in the excitement of what's going on with the believers or conversions we overlook the negative reactions that they got as well a great deal of acts a good percentage of the book of acts is the disciples the apostles um, getting in trouble with local leaders getting in trouble with the governments and the authorities as they went from place to place the people that had power the people in influence like the apostles would show up and the people would believe, but also the rulers and the authorities would take issue with these folks that were showing up. And so the gospel of Jesus was a challenge uh, to the status quo. When these apostles would show up and preach the gospel, it would challenge the status quo, and it would also challenge those who benefited from the status quo. Um, there's many stories that kind of highlight that dynamic. These these people, the the authorities, the the rulers, the government officials, the the wealthy and and people of high status, they properly understood that the gospel of Jesus, which announced another kingdom and announced another king, they understood that that gospel was a threat to their way of doing things. It was a reordering of community, a reordering of society. In a, a previous sermon series, like I talked about when we went through Acts, there was a week where we looked at Um, a story where the disciples were accused of and the exact words they used was turning the world upside down. Remember the crowds formed a mob and they went to go get the disciples, the apostles, and they couldn't find them so they grabbed a guy named Jason and drug him to court and said this guy's helping these apostles. They're defying the laws of Caesar. They're turning the world upside down. They're creating a different world. They're rebelling against the authorities. That story happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 17. And the scripture we read a few moments ago was Acts chapter 17. So, so that story is actually the, the backdrop to what's happening here. If we were reading Acts from start to finish, we would have just finished hearing about how the disciples were in this other community, turning the world upside down. And then Paul um, goes on to, to Athens and into his next community. And so he's coming off of one conflict and enters into this situations in Athens. So today's text is set in the middle of a dangerous and threatening uh, reaction to the gospel by powerful uh, people and, and the crowds that formed mobs and, and all of that. So we think of Paul's missionary journeys as, as having great impact, but it also was a, it was a vulnerable uh, moment for Paul as he traveled from city to city sharing this gospel. And so we've, we find Paul in Athens at the Areopagus. Um, this is a place that was on a hill, and at one point in, in Greek history, it housed a court. It was like the high court of the land. Like this is where you would go to have decisions made, to have conflicts resolved. This was uh, a place where the highest authorities had their conflicts um, resolved or justice was settled here. Um, and so this is where Paul's speech happens. This is where the scripture we read occurs. And, and we're not clear at this point if, this, if Paul was before a court, like if he had been... Drug there and was forced to testify on his behalf if, this was, if his speech was part of a, a defense of his gospel or if it was just a gathering place at this point. Because at some point, this location quit being an official court and just kind of became a, a societal hangout, a town square, if you will. And so it's unclear if he was defending himself or if he was just preaching to the public. But um, he starts out this speech with an with a explanation of what he's been doing. In verse 23, and if we got that, I uh, hope the slides keep working if we got that one, he tells the, this crowd that is gathered, whether, again, it's a court or just people um, listening to him, he says, I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Um, <clears throat> as we mentioned last week, the best way to share the gospel, the best way to share the good news of Jesus um, is for Christians to do the cross-cultural work the ones to go out and understand the culture that they're trying to reach, right? So to bridge the gap between the church and the rest of the world. And so Paul uh, embodies this because he took a a walk around in an attempt to understand the community in which he's trying to reach. He says, I walked around and I looked at the things that you worshipped. I looked at the things that you put value in that you prioritized. He says Athens was very religious. And he knew that because he walked around and got to know the community in which he was Trying to minister to Athens had its ancient Greek history but it also had um, uh, was under influence and under the rule of the Roman Empire during Paul's time and so part of their their backdrop this religious history was a pantheon of gods right so Greek and Roman both had this this pantheon this collection of gods that would very specific uh, purposes within their society within their culture there was a God of war, there was a God of fertility, a God of thunder and lightning, a God of uh, law and order, a God of the sea, and a God of wisdom, a God of reason, gods for all the different elements of life, and you could go and worship and appeal to and make sacrifices and, and worship at the altar for these various gods. It was obviously very different than first century Judaism and Christianity. But Paul walks around Athens attempting to understand these people's beliefs, attempting to understand his these practices, and he ran across something he found quite interesting. He ran across this altar to an unknown God, like, the, like he said in the scripture. The inscription said, an unknown God, and Paul saw this as his opportunity to share the gospel. He addressed the people in Athens. He says, you have all these gods that you know. You have this whole pantheon, this whole catalogs of gods you can worship, and you can make sacrifices to, but you are also aware of another god you're aware that there's a god or a deity that you cannot name a god or a deity that you do not know that you also worship you have an altar to this other god even though you you cannot name it and you, you you don't know this god you have all these other gods and yet you still find yourself with an altar to a god that you don't know Because you are aware that these name gods, this whole catalog of gods that you have, doesn't meet all your needs. You're still aware that there's some other force at work. That the gods that you can name and the gods that you can know don't satisfy and meet all the needs that you have. Despite all these other gods, you are still looking for something else, still hungry for something else, still in need of something else. You're aware that there has to be something else, but it's hidden from you. You can't name it and you don't know it. It's an unknown God you've chased after and served these other gods that you were looking to worship and connect with yet another God. And the tragedy is, according to Paul, is that they cannot name that God. You cannot identify that God. You have not seen that God, nor do you even know how to find that God. That God remains unknown. That God remains unnamed. Unnamed. You have all these other gods and yet some level you know that these objects of your worship don't satisfy, don't fulfill, don't complete your lives. And, and what you are lacking, that which you are looking for, the thing that you are searching for, you cannot name and you cannot know. And then Paul makes this move from understanding the community that he's in, from, from relating to this group of people. He makes this move to preaching to this community. He says, you don't know this God. You're searching for this unknown, this unnamed God. You're searching for this God that is hidden from you. You're searching for this God that you cannot find, you cannot name, because you do not know this God. You cannot identify it. But then Paul says, but I can. I know the one that you are looking for. You are searching, you you are worshiping this thing that you do not even know, but I know what it is that you're looking for. You are searching for a God that is different than all these other gods, but you expect to find them in the same places as all these other gods. He says, I know that you cannot find this God amongst these other gods you're you're worshiping. This God is not found in your man-made temples, he says. This God is not in need of your service. He's not demanding that you do things for him. This God isn't in it to take from you. Rather, this God, the God that I know, says Paul, gives life to everyone. This God rules all people in all of history. And this God is the God you are seeking. This unknown, unnamed God is the God that wants you to seek him so that you realize that this God is not far from you. So there's a lot of uh, complex things going on here but it boils down to the fact that that Paul sees them searching for something beyond what they already have they're searching for a God to worship that they cannot name they cannot know it is hidden from them and he says I know what you're looking for can you see how Paul's approach to preaching about Jesus would reach people differently than if he had just showed up and said you're worshiping the wrong gods, you're all a bunch of sinners and are the worst people in the world. Instead of finding a way to judge them or condemn them, he found a way to connect with them where he was actually answering the questions that they were asking. He was providing the answer to what they're looking for. He found a way to connect with them where they were, he found a way to connect them to something that was true and real and invite them to, to listen to what he had to say to them. He says, you are searching for something but cannot find it, but I can help you find what you are looking for. Paul understood something 2,000 years ago that I hope that we as a church can can wrap our minds around today. Can we have the next slide up? Yep, you guys are on top of it. This is what Paul knew, and this is what I hope that we can grab a hold of. That those who have experienced a life transformed by Jesus have the opportunity and obligation to help those who are seeking for a new life. He went to this community, Paul did, and saw that there was people that were searching for something that they couldn't name, they couldn't know, and yet he says, I have the answers to the questions that you're asking. So those who have experienced this life transformed by Jesus have the opportunity and also have the obligation to help those who are seeking for new life. Now today we don't have a pantheon of gods in our culture and our society, right? Like the ancient Greek and Roman societies did, um, But I'm convinced that Paul's message back then would still have the same power and impact today. Um, If we went around and asked people what gods they served uh, today, we'd probably get weird looks, funny responses. People would probably think we're crazy. right? But if instead of asking what gods you serve, you said um, what do you think makes life good? What gives your life purpose? What provides for your needs what's going to make your life better what's going to make your life worthwhile what's going to bring you peace and joy what is it that you depend on in your life to care for you i'm confident that we get a long list of things in the ancient world of the gods like when properly motivated those gods would provide for the needs of their people so what do people depend upon today to provide for their needs? Well, everything would be good if, I, you know, for example, I had the right job or if I got that promotion and got the, the, a raise maybe or if I went to the right school or if I had the right reputation or if I was dating or married to the right person or if I get the right number of followers on my social media page or if we own the right house or we drive the right cars, you know. Imagine that could be some of the answers, or maybe everything would be okay if we had the right amount of money in the bank, or if my my health was was right, or if I looked a particular way, that's what I'm depending on, that's what I'm counting on to bring me comfort, happiness, peace, and joy in my life. Those answers are all very individualistic, and we could probably get some answers on a bigger scale, too, if we think of our culture at large. Everything would be better if, everything would be great if the right person was the governor or the right people were on the Supreme Court or the right person was the president or the right people were in Congress or the right companies had the influence that we wish they had or didn't have the influence that they do have or the economy was right or the uh, the right countries were on our side or something. like This is a long list and it's not meant to be exhaustive. It's not meant to name off everything. The point wasn't to name every possible answer, but rather to, um, to show that despite not having all these gods and idols of the ancient world, we still have plenty of things that we can depend on these days. There's a lot of people that are depending upon certain powers and dynamics at work in our lives in order to provide the security, peace, meaning, purpose, and goodness in their everyday lives. We pour our energy and our hopes and our our plans into these things expecting that it will satisfy, that it will fulfill, that it will provide for uh, our needs. But as Christians, we should know that none of these things will satisfy. They, They won't provide for us. They can become idols that take the place of God in our lives. Jesus once said, what good is it to gain the whole world And lose your soul. What good is it to get everything that you want, everything that you think you need, and to lose your soul? Now, the word "soul" here isn't isn't a wispy ghost that lives inside of us, kind of how we've imagined soul. Um, It's this ghost-like thing inside of us that is separate than our body or something. Um, Soul is actually the same word in Hebrew. Uh, So, Old Testament, when you see the word "soul," it's also the same word for the word "throat," which is weird, right? Um, the word is nefesh if you want to look that up Um, it's a Hebrew word nefesh means throat or soul ancient Hebrews understood the throat as the part of you that hungers for things um, that desires things so in a spiritual sense your soul is the part of you that desires God that is hungry for God that seeks for God when you read your Bible, pay attention to how often the time, how, how many times, how often the word soul is tied to something along desiring God, hungering, uh, seeking. Those words are almost always in that same scripture. There's Your soul is always hungering. Your whole soul is always desiring. Your soul is always seeking something. This is the very understanding that the, the ancient Hebrews had of, of what our soul was. He says, what good is it to get everything you want and quit searching for God? What good is it to get everything that you think you need and lose your desire for God? Verse 27, Paul says, God did this so that we would seek him. And perhaps we might even reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, we may continue to seek for God. So this whole thing is set up In such a way that people go looking, searching, desiring to find God. Desiring to know God. This week's sermon is part two of our topic of engaging culture. Last week was engaging culture as missionaries. This week is engaging culture as tour guides. The point that I want to make clear in all of this is to make it obvious, make it clear that when we engage with culture when we engage with society when we engage with people outside of the church that those people we encounter will be searching for something you can just assume and you interact with people that they are looking for something some will be searching in the usual places they'll be searching in career they'll be searching in in wealth they'll be searching in relationships power status all that stuff we mentioned a moment ago some people will actually have achieved success in some of those areas and achieved what, uh, what they were searching for. And when they get there, they may be disappointed or discouraged because they realize that it doesn't, while it may be good, it doesn't fully satisfy. It feels like they're lacking something. There's something more. It doesn't give them what they thought it would, even though it's good things. We've got a good marriage. I've got a good job. I've got a good family. I've got a good uh, safe home. I've got a good, my kids are in a good school. We have all those things, and those are good, but it, it might still feel like something's lacking. It didn't provide what they were searching for. So people today out there in our, our society, in our culture, much like the ancient culture in Athens that Paul was encountering, they realize that there must be something else out there. There must be more. There must be something deeper, more, more meaningful, something else at work in their lives, even if they can't name it or identify it. It's their own unknown God. They got the good job or they've got some money in the bank or they've got a social media following or they've got a, the house spouse, two kids and two cars and yet they still feel like they're lacking something. They know there's something else out there. They know that there's something more that they're missing. But like Paul, we Christians know what they're looking for. We have a name for that unnamed God. We know their unknown God. We know why the other gods are simply idols that promise everything but fail to deliver. We, we know why their idols disappoint. When we encounter people in our culture, we can know that no matter what they say they are searching for, at the deepest levels, at the, at the, at the deepest core of who they are, they are searching for Jesus. Jesus. They may not put that name on it. They may not even know that that's what they're looking for. But much like Paul knew who the Athens unknown God was, we as Christians know what is at the root of their soul's longing. Now, that doesn't mean to dismiss their concerns or their needs, but it should help us understand how to engage them. Right? If somebody says, Hey, I need a better job because I can't pay my bills. It doesn't mean that we dismiss that out of hand and say, No, that's not what you need. You need Jesus but it helps us understand and engage them. Why do, you, why do you need a better job? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? What is it that you're looking for? And we can help them because we know truly what they're looking for. Last week, like I said, I invited you to be missionaries going into the world, announcing Jesus as king with your actions and with your words. And this week, I'm inviting you to be tour guides. Tour guides in the kingdom of God. Pointing people towards the right path and helping them to understand where they are, and where they are going. We put the next... Oh, you guys are one step ahead of me. Look at you go. Christians should not only be happy when people find faith in Jesus, Christians should also be helping people find faith in Jesus. Why tour guides? Because when somebody begins a journey of faith, it's much more fruitful when someone can focus on Jesus. It's, it's much more... Uh, Fruitful, effective, it's easier for them if somebody is along, walking alongside them, pointing them in the right direction. Without a guide, people will wander aimlessly, or they might run from one thing to the next. They might conclude that you know Christ died for their Dunkin' Donuts. They might, they might come up with the wrong answer to the question. And they eventually may find their way to Jesus, but having a tour guide instructing them pointing out bumps in the road, helping them work through difficult questions. Having a tour guide along the way sure could save them some time, some struggles, maybe some hurts. And this is why it's so important that the church must properly understand our mission. The goal of the church is not to get people into church. The goal of the church is to get people to Jesus. And the church is not the finish line for people searching for Jesus. Like, Yes, it's, it's exciting and we celebrate when new people come to be a part of our community of faith, but that's not the finish line, that's the starting point. We become tour guides. The church is the tour guide for people searching for Jesus. We point the way, we help people walk the walk of faith. And the way we communicate, the way we plan, the way we minister, the way we steward our resources, the way we lead and serve others should all point people to Jesus and not to us. Insecure and immature Christians will want to use the church to point people to themselves, to make themselves the hero of the story, but a mature, faithful, obedient church will always see itself as a guide that points to Jesus, not to itself. Uh, The church, when when it's being faithful and obedient to Christ, will always see itself as a guide that points others to find faith in Jesus. Christians should not only be happy when people find faith in Jesus, Christians should be helping people find faith in Jesus. And so the invitation for today is to understand your role as a tour guide in the kingdom. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're part of the body of Christ, you are called to be a tour guide in the kingdom. To point people towards Jesus. To help them find their way to help them answer the question help them find what it is that they're looking for one of the things that that me as a pastor and, and us as the church is, is trying to do is to help equip you to give you tools to give us all tools to help point people to Jesus so for example I many of you probably are aware of this but every every week usually on Tuesday um, i 'll post uh, just a what I call the point just a three to five minute clip from the sunday service i 'll post it on the Facebook page and it 's just kind of maybe the main point from the sunday 's message. I share that because maybe you want a reminder from Sunday, but also that might be an opportunity for you to share with people that could use to know what 's going on right they don 't have maybe people that aren 't going to come in to a full church service maybe they're intimidated or unsure about what church is but maybe you know somebody that like hey I could share this with them and they could use a three-minute just update about what God is doing in their life so we do that point every week the way that we structure our sermon series is to try and create a, a sense an opportunity for you to point people hey we're doing the sermon series about x y and z maybe this would be a good opportunity for you to come to church with me a few weeks ago we talked about defining a disciple as a one plus one plus one formula where we say, you know, one worship experience, one serve experience, one discipleship growing experience. Like get yourself plugged into those three things. Now that that doesn't actually equal disciple, but those are the, the practices that will will guide people in growing to know Jesus and that's the goal. So those one plus one plus one is kind of a signpost that points people to getting involved to get to know Jesus a little bit more. It's why we've created the the boards and the foyers, serve boards with service opportunities and connect boards with the Sunday school classes and connect groups and all these things that we're just getting rolling out and just getting started sharing. The ministry info boards, right? Those are opportunities for us to point people. They're tools that we can put in people's hands to say this is how you get to know what Jesus is doing. This is how we introduce people that are searching for Jesus, uh, we live stream our stuff. We, um, I haven't mentioned this in a long time, but every week, uh, audio recording of the sermon ends up on podcasts. So if you're on like, Apple iTunes podcasts or Google podcasts or wherever people get podcasts, like, you can listen to the sermon, but also you could share it with somebody. If somebody said, hey, I heard this really good message on Sunday. We must have had a guest preacher. We um, had a really good message on Sunday. Like, you should check it out. Um, Connect cards, and uh, that's a way for us to kind of point people in the right direction so we know what they're looking for. Um, and coming soon, we'll have a few more tools that we'll put in your hands. We're working on developing some, some invite cards, some come-sit-with-me cards that you can take as you leave on Sunday morning and go hand to somebody. Say, hey, we're doing this cool thing at church. Why don't you come with me? Um, we're in the process of, of revamping our welcome team, and there'll be some uh, announcements coming about that very soon. Um, And then there'll be some engagement activities where we are gonna do some things in the life of our community and it'll be a great opportunity for you to invite people along. So it'll be things for the church but it'll also be an opportunity for you to invite people that maybe don't have a church family. Maybe people you know that you work with or that are neighbors that are searching for something that they could kind of come along and meet some of us uh, church folk. And then there's a couple things that I want to introduce today. Just simple tools that are gonna help us be tour guides in the kingdom. The first one, next week, when you uh, come in person, um, in the underneath the shelves, underneath some of these chairs, uh, there will be 50 of these scattered throughout the sanctuary. These are just Bibles, NIV, basic Bibles, nothing fancy. Um, but every week, when I introduce the scripture and I say, hey, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 or if you want to open your app, I'm going to add the phrase, if you don't have a Bible, um, reach down and grab one of these. That's yours now. Take it with you. This is your Bible. It's just a tool to put in the hands of people. They're just kind of bulk discount Bibles. They're nothing fancy. They're a couple dollars a piece. Um, But we want to put these in the hands of people that maybe don't have a Bible. So that becomes a tool that helps us point people there's a lot of questions. One of the questions I get the most with new Christians is what Bible should I be reading? What translation? I'm just like, here, take an NIV. If you got questions, read it. But um there's that. I had something else up here. Did somebody Oh, one over there? Yep. Yep. This is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, can you see that? We'll zoom in on there. He's got the camera. Zoom in. It says, reserved parking, first-time church visitors. I picked up a couple of these. We're going to have specific spots identified for first-time visitors. It is confusing the first time you pull into this parking lot, is it not? All right. Quiet. I'm going to take that as yes. It was for me. Um, And hopefully that's just the first of many signs to help people Um, navigate their way around the church. But the point is that new followers of Jesus will be challenged enough by trying to understand what Jesus is doing that we shouldn't confuse them with church culture. We want to try and help clarify and point them to Jesus, not point them to church structure or, or, you know, whatever. Um, People should be challenged by their faith, not by church culture. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we continue to grow into a church where unchurched people can come and feel like they're pointed in the right direction, that they are introduced to Jesus, that they're a church where people who are lost and searching for that which they do not know how to name, the unknown gods, the unnamed gods in their lives, that those people can come and get to know Jesus to put a name to that which they're looking for, that they will finally meet the one that they've been searching for all along. So the invitation is for you, me, us together to be tour guides in the kingdom of God.